I'm going to start off with a confession. This, it's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so this morning, I'm sitting there, and we're singing, we're worshiping, and um, I just felt prompted to be praying for the, the moment we were in, um, just that we would be fully aware of God's presence. Often I find myself repeating a prayer in our worship times where I just ask the Lord to break through uh, our reality so we can be present with him. And um, that's often a prayer I have. But today I was praying and, you know, names and faces come to, come to mind that are in, in the space and maybe that are, aren't even here and just been praying for them. And then I had this, I was praying pretty with the sense of urgency. And then it's almost like I was reminded like, Dave, do you pray like this all the time or just in this moment? You know, because you're here, we're here, it's Sunday. And whenever you're in the middle of something, you always feel the urgency to pray. And I really felt like the Lord was kind of like, Dave, do you just pray this hard like right now because it's a Sunday thing? And I was like, wow, I got to really think about that. I mean, I know I pray. And so this morning's message that we're talking about prayer uh, is probably going to be first to me and then to you. How does that sound? Is that good? You're like, yes, we can expose the heart of David Manifold. Um, so, so, that's, so anyways, I was really sensing that and, and, and what, that, what the Lord was kind of pushing on my heart, that like the kind of urgency we pray in the moment what would it be like to be consistently seeking the Lord on behalf of each other, our church, the world? Amen? So key. So key. So let's, uh, let's, let's dig in. So in, in that context, um, last week we started a, a theme called Prayer in the Way of Jesus, uh, or Teach Us to Pray. And uh, we started off looking at a passage called, uh, in Luke 11, uh, chapter 1, uh, chap- sorry, chapter 11, verse 1 on, and there was this verse that we read where the disciples asked this question to Jesus. I want to kind of jump back to last week and, and springboard into this week. And in, in Luke 11, if you can put that, that slide up there, uh, I think it's somewhere, yeah, there it is. So, so this is where we started last week. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord... Teach us to pray just as John's disciples taught them to pray. And we kind of hovered on that last week and we looked at, uh, you know, that Jesus taught them what to say and the way to pray for the way of life and for the kingdom. That's kind of what we walked through last week. But in, that, in this, this question, it's so important where the disciples are asking, Jesus, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Something led them to ask this question. We started talking about that last week before we got into what Jesus taught them. And because they really wanted to learn how to pray. They noticed something about Jesus so significant. They saw it in his life, in his pattern, in his words, that they asked him this question. Jesus, teach us to pray. And they noticed it so much that it begged the question, how do you pray, Jesus? Show us what it means to pray. And if Luke 11 verse 1 is true, that they saw Jesus praying in a certain place, and it's a pattern, and it leads them to ask the question, teach us to pray, then it must be found somewhere else in the scripture. It must be found somewhere else in the story of Jesus, right? So what I want to do is I want to start with this one text, Mark chapter 1 verse 35 to 39, and then we're going to jump around some of the gospels to see if this is really true, all right? So we're going to read this text in a second just before we actually pause and pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, we know, we don't have to ask for your presence, we know your presence is here. But we ask that you make us aware of your presence, and that we can tune into your presence. And we humble ourselves right now, I humble myself before you, God, I long um, to learn and grow 
in what it means to pray in the way of Jesus, your son. Help us, God. And even as we're praying, as, as we talk about your kingdom come and your will be done, we pray for our country who's going into an election tomorrow, and we pray for your will to be done um, across our nation and in all the pockets of our nation, in our neighborhoods and networks. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let, let's read this together. Mark 1, verse 35 to 39. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. This is why I came. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is kind of the, what's happening in Jesus' life here. And I, I ask you this question. What do people normally say about Jesus? What is like the popular stories of Jesus? What would people highlight most about Jesus' life? Think about it. What would people highlight most about Jesus' life? Just kind of say it out. Anybody? Healing. What else? Teaching, preaching, spending time with the poor, right? What, what he was known for, what made him popular was verse 39, that he went out preaching and teachings in the synagogues, driving out demons, and we can add miracles and things like that. What he was less popular for, not necessarily in the time, but in our perception, in our minds, is what verse 35 says, that he prayed. Verse 35 says, if you can put it back up there, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. I bet that when we look at other people, we notice what's happening on the outside, but don't always pay attention to what's happening on the inside, right? How many of you looked at someone and, uh, you know, they look, like they're, they look like they have more energy than you, and maybe they look like they're in more shape than you, and you ask them, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? How do you do this? And so they tell you everything they do, and you're like, oh, I like this, but I don't like what you're telling me. <laughs> like, it's nice to see the outside, but... All this other stuff you're doing to get to that? No, I want this without that. Sometimes we see that in really great relationships. We see friends or family or a couple relationship, and we see a flourishing relationship. We see love. We see them enjoying each other's company. We see good conversation. Uh, we see freedom and peace in there. And so we come to them and we say, how do you do that? Teach us how to just have this amazing, these great relationships. And so they start to tell us what they do. They say, well, we practice vulnerability with each other. Oh, and you take a step back. We, we confess things to one another when, when we wrong one another. You're like, when we forgive each other, you're like, oh, I, I, I like what I'm seeing, but I don't like the vulnerability, confession, forgiveness part. That's not me. I, don't, I like this, but I don't want that, right? And so in some ways, when we see Jesus, we see what he's doing on the surface but we don't always realize that there's strength below the surface, that there's strength below what you see, that below the surface of preaching and teaching and casting out demons and, and evil and miracles, there's a life of prayer, that the kind of life that Jesus was living was strengthened by the kind of prayer life he lived. Right? The kind of life Jesus was living was strengthened by the kind of prayer life he lived and practiced. And so Jesus' practice of prayer is what prompts the disciples to say, 
Jesus teach us how to pray. So I'm going to walk through really briefly. We're not going to to dig deep into each of these. Just some other verses in the the Gospels that show us how Jesus prayed. So we already saw Luke 11, verse 1. We saw Mark uh, chapter 1 as well. And here's a couple on the screen. Uh, We'll start with Luke 5, verse 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6. One of these days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. Here's the next few. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do, this, who do the crowd say that I am? So he was with the disciples praying. Luke 9, 28, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up to the mountain to pray. Here's a couple more. Luke 22, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. He withdrew about a stone's throw away beyond them, knelt down and prayed. Here we have just a, a glimpse of describing Jesus' life and his prayer life or the practice of prayer. Now, often I I try and teach, uh, when we look at the scriptures, there's a difference between um, reading something descriptively and prescriptively, right? Like you read the life of David or Moses or Ruth or Hagar, and it's like it's a descriptive, it's a description in the scriptures. It's not telling us always to live like Moses, Hagar, Ruth, or David. or Yet when there's something prescriptive, it's like do this, right? And that's important because you can't read all the scripture the same way. And yet here, when we read these accounts of Jesus, they're descriptive. They're telling us what he's doing, who he is. Yet we would say, for most of the time, when we see what Jesus is doing, that descriptive also could be prescriptive for us. Well, first of all, I'm not a disciple of Moses or Ruth or Haggai or David. I'm a disciple of Jesus. So I follow my master's lead. And here's Jesus' life showed in the pages of the Gospels some of the things he's doing with his disciples. And I think it helps us ask the question, how does Jesus show us how to pray? And there's three or four things that are really practical. Last week we looked at how Jesus taught them what to say and the, the nature of their relationship with the Father for the way of the kingdom. And when I come back after our guest speakers, we're going to go deep into the Lord's Prayer for a couple of weeks. But today, I want to hit just the practice of Jesus' prayer. What, how did he, what did he do? And the first thing that comes up in all these verses is he had a place. He actually had a place. Did you notice that? And I'm going to put them on the screen again because I wanted to highlight. So here in Luke 11, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Mark 1, early in the morning, it was still dark. Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place. I think there's two more. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places. One of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside, which is a place, to pray and spent the night with God, praying with God. And so mountainside and garden are often Jesus' go-to places. Some of you guys have go-to places where you like to pray. I've heard that some of you like to sit on the lakeshore and pray, or there's a park near your house, or there's a room in your house, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus had the mountainside and the garden seemed like his go-to places. But this is important. Jesus marked a place to pray. Prayer was so important for him, the practice of prayer was so vital that he actually chose places where he was going to pray. And and I love how Luke, in some of those texts, and even the other gospel writers, we get this sense that the place was important. If you're going to do something that's valuable for your life, you also know where you're going to do it. 
And you often carve out a place or a space where it's important because you know you're going to do it often and you know you're going to do it repeatedly and you know that you want to have the kind of environment that helps you to do that. So Jesus chose or marked off a place where he was going to pray. And I have a sense that the mountainside and the garden were great places for Jesus to pray. In fact, one of the last places we see him praying is the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look at that later. He went there often and he prayed there just before the cross. It was significant, that place where he prayed. So here's the question. Do you have a place to pray? Do you, do you chart out a place to pray? And I don't have a, a seat with me, and I was going to have something here that kind of like helped symbolize that. But I think that's so important, right? Because the more intentional you are about the place where you pray, the more likely you'll pray, and the more comfortable you'll be. Isn't that true? Why, why do it, it's incredible, but when you think about that, for me, the more comfortable I am with a place, the more I know the place, the more I know the room, the more I know what I'm going to expect, the least I worry about it, and the more I can focus on what I'm doing. That's why people go to the same local gym, or they often carve out a place to go work out or something like that. Like, I know, for, I know it's not the value of the equipment, it's more. You mark out the time. I know for me, when I end up going to the gym, I leave my phone in my locker for 70 minutes. I never look at my phone. I know my wife's probably thinking, why don't you do that at home? Leave your, leave your phone in a room for 70 minutes. Uh, but there's something about going to a place to do something. In fact, there's some Westsiders that go to the gym where I go, and, and they just, it's just a nod. Hey. That's all we do. Like, we don't talk. Like, maybe a fist pump. Maybe. Because it's like, we're there to do something, but we're not there to talk to each other. Like, we're not friends right now. We just, just a little nod. That's all we do. Because the place is where you're going to do what you're supposed to do. So that's what you're there to do. And it's similar to prayer. It's similar to prayer. Maybe there's a chair or a room or your deck or a park. For me, there's a room in my house where there's a chair that I love to sit in, and when people are awake in my house, I often use that chair. And when people aren't awake in that house, I don't mind using the kitchen table. And in the summer, I love being on my deck. And there's a few spots that become places of prayer that I don't have to think about or, or arrange in my mind or feel like i got to do any extra energy to start what I'm doing. And that's the beauty of marking a place to pray. So think about it. Think about where do you pray? If you want to pray, mark out a place. Secondly, we notice that Jesus made this a practice. Notice the language describing Jesus' prayer life. And there's just two spots I want to show uh, on here. One was uh, Luke 5, 16, where it talks about how Jesus often, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He did that often. It was a practice. It wasn't a one-time thing. It wasn't like, oh, I need to pray, now I'm going to go pray. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to pray. Luke 22, this is the, the garden, the Mount of Olives. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. That day when he prayed that significant prayer, Lord, not my will, but yours be done, and he was Im Im immense passion and maybe even anxiety. There was sweats of blood that the, the Luke describes. But that wasn't just, he didn't just like happen to be there. He went to that place often. And for him to process what he was walking through with the Father, God's will in his life, he went back to that place, and that's where he prayed. He went as usual. 
So for him, prayer was not just spontaneous, not just when the need arose, not just in an urgent moment or an urgent crisis. Jesus' prayer life was a practice. He did it consistently. So he marked the place and he made it a practice. And think of the language that pops up that Luke gives us especially and even the other writers that tells us how intentional he was. He withdrew to this place. He went to this place. He went off to this place. He got up very early in the morning, got up and went. There was an intentionality towards Jesus' prayer life. It didn't just happen. It didn't just happen. And I know that in some ways, part of us, our, our human desire is like, I wish, I want God just, just to just blast me you know, just to blast me every once in a while. I could know that he's around. So it, I don't have to do much effort in, 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 you know, really trying to be with him. Like, can he, can he just, like, you know, show up right now and just do something so I can know? Like, and, and sometimes when, what we're saying is, yes, that's not a necessarily a bad desire to, to connect with God, but what we're saying is, um, God, if you're really that important to me, then you, ju- you just be the one who shows up. But there's something in the life of Jesus. Jesus showed up. He marked the place. He made it a practice. And those two environments Jesus prayed in. And uh, there are two environments that we need to pray in. The first one, I'll call it the closet. In Luke 5.16, it says, He often withdrew to lonely places. Isn't that interesting? He often withdrew to lonely places. That's so vital for us to know. Jesus went off to places, and another passage says he went to a solitary place. Lonely places, solitary places. Now, it's interesting because maybe some of us are afraid to be alone. Maybe some of us only, like, really need the encouragement of people to pray, and and I'm going to get to that in a moment. But Jesus did something to really grow in his prayer life and the practice of prayer. He withdrew to lonely places, solitary places, because there's something about seclusion. There's something about silence. There's something about solitude that helps us grow deeper in prayer that the noise doesn't help with. And Jesus practiced the spiritual practice of silence and solitude. He got away from the chaos of life. He got away from the noise of society. He got away even from the busyness of his mission and his disciples. And he got away to these lonely places, these solitary places where he practiced silence and solitude and seclusion so he could pray. And I think you and I need that. We need it even more so in our culture. We need it even more so in our culture. I was listening to a podcast um, interviewing, um, I don't even know how to describe what this guy does. It's a very kind of like unique field, but he examines noise. That's what he does. Like he's a PhD in noise and silence. And so he listens really well. Um, And he goes off into the Amazon and the jungle and microphones and he just, it's amazing. And he said there's only 12 places, 12 locations in the U.S., Um, that you can be void of noise. 12 locations. There's 330 million people in the States and there's only 12 locations and it's probably somewhere on a mountain where there's no cities around for about 10 kilometers or a desert. That is the kind of silence or uh, like no noise pollution. 
It's amazing. But what he was trying to get at is that it's so hard for us to get away from noise. It's so hard for us to get away from noise. And so there's something about what it means where Jesus went off to this silent place. Because silence and solitude is a lost art in our society. And it's so necessary. If it was necessary for Jesus, how much more so for us? Because this is what it does. It eliminates distractions. It doesn't mean that we have to be quiet all the time. But silence and solitude eliminates distraction. It enables us to have a singular focus for a few moments. It, it helps us foster the ability to listen really, really well. To listen really, really well. We're doing an Emotionally Healthy Relationship course on Wednesday nights, and we did a similar course last spring, and one of the hardest things people talked about, we practice silence before we start. And there's silence in the practice of every day. And one of the things people said is the hardest thing about what we're doing is the silence. Like, just get me reading. Just let me start reading the Bible. Let me start reading the prayer. I, I need to get on with my day. It's just to stop for one or two minutes and just do nothing in silence and solitude. They said, almost everybody said it was one of the hardest things to do. There's a writer, her name is Maggie Ross. She wrote a book called Silence, a user's guide. And here's some of the benefits of silence with our faith and our spirituality and prayer. She says, in silence, we shift away from the artificiality of the surrounding culture toward the beauty of beholding God. In silence, we grow in our ability to wait and see what unfolds, more trusting of the love of God. In silence, we realize how foolish our ideas are of how the world works or should work, letting go more easily of judgments, anger, and greed. I think probably 80% of the division of our world and the horrible junkie talk on Twitter would be all cleaned up if we just paused for 60 seconds before we wrote a word. I think that would work. There, problem solved. We just shut up for 60 seconds and then we talk. How foolish our ideas are of, the world, of how the world works and should work. Silence helps us with that. Silence, in silence, we become more compassionate. In silence, we influence others for good out of the changes God is doing in and through us. So instead of like acting too quickly, as we slow down, as we pause in silence and solitude before the Lord, he begins to change us. And what we want to see happen, he starts in us first. So there's something so incredibly important about that. In like a completely unrelated field, there's a guy named Cal Newport, and he wrote a book called Deep Work. And uh, he's, a, he's a, a professor of computer technology at George Tech Univers- Georgetown University. And this guy is known for the incredible productivity. He writes essays and papers. You can't even email him. He doesn't even have an email address on his school profile. Because he's, he's developed the art of focus. Incredible. And it happened in his, in his uh, early 20s uh, when he was in university, uh, before university, he tried to actually learn code by himself. And he developed the ability to stay focused in a room for four and a half hours with no interruption. So he closed himself in a room, no phone, just the code textbook, and he slowly went from 30 minutes to an hour to two to three to four to four and a half hours. And so when everybody, like 10, 10, 11 o'clock rolls out in the day as he started working, I mean, this guy produced code for like a week's worth of work. (laughs) And so, but it's not about the work or the productivity. It's the fact that he realized, I somehow I need to develop this ability just to focus. And when we apply that to prayer, deeper prayer will require deeper practice. 
We can pray anytime. We can pray all the time. Paul says pray in all occasions for all kinds of things. Bring our requests to God all the time. But deeper prayer will require a deeper practice. And I'd say it like this. Don't expect a great harvest in prayer without an investment in silence and solitude. And I say that to myself too. Don't expect, Dave Manafort, a great harvest in prayer without an investment in silence and solitude. Jesus went away to lonely places. But it's not just that. Jesus didn't just pray in the closet, just metaphorically. He prayed in community. I love Luke 9. In, in this chapter twice, it lets us know that, this, that the disciples were with him. When Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, so he was praying alone but with them, so they were away from the crowds. Luke 9, 28, he took Peter, John, and James up with him. This is to the Mount of Transfiguration. They went up onto a mountain to pray. So Jesus is like, come along with me. We're going to pray together. That's so important. Because I, I bet if we list the things that we as Christ followers ask each other to do, it's like, do you want to learn this? Do you want to do a Bible study? What if we serve here? What if we set up this event? Can you serve in this ministry? All important things. But when's the last time you said, hey, you want to get together to pray? You want to come and spend some time to pray together? We can do all those other things. It's amazing that Jesus took his disciples with him. So prayer isn't only for the prayer closet. Prayer isn't only in solitude. Jesus prays in community. Jesus prays with community. Jesus includes his disciples in prayer, and Jesus prays with them, not only for them, but with them. And I think there's such a beauty and power, something that we need for us to grow in prayer. We can't just pray alone. We must pray with others. We must get together with each other and pray. And whether it's an organized church prayer group, whether it's the, we have two on Wednesdays, one in the afternoon at Laura's home and one in the evening at Barb's home. We have, uh, you know, we were doing the abide nights and different things. When we, yes, we need to do those things, but even on our own to say, hey, you want to get together and pray? Um, there was a, just, uh, I remember my personal experience when a bunch of us for about a season prayed on the steps of Fairview at seven or eight in the morning praying for the city and but it wasn't that happened we prayed for the city but we prayed with each other and we'd often end those times just praying for our day and the kind of prayers that came up in those moments the kind of things that i would hear people pray over me or they would hear me pray over them or what we'd pray over the city was so important because we prayed together we prayed in community our, our ministry team leaders have decided this season that before we start talking about anything at our at our meetings monthly we're going to pray for 30 or 40 minutes because we want to just put that before us. We want to spend time in prayer together. Uh, there, there's a, uh, some teams that pray on Sunday morning. Kids Quest and other teams and our worship team and different people pray together. And there's, we often pray in the back. We were praying just behind those curtains today before we started. I love those times because different people share and different people pray. And um, I, I always kind of bug Josh because I say, Josh, every time you pray, I just remember what you've said. And, and it's like, I don't know why, but like even this morning, Josh prayed this. He said, Lord, may we not be a hindrance to worship. May we be a help to worship. I don't know why every time Josh is with me praying that I remember what he says. But it's like his word, his phrase sticks in my mind. And that would not happen if it was me alone praying. It happens in community. It happens when other people are we're praying together, right? And so God uses us in that way. 
And so Jesus, he prayed with his disciples and, and he prayed for them and with them, but he also mentored them in that community time. So we learn to pray with each other. So I, my challenge to you is invite people to pray with you and find people who are praying and pray with them. And if you're a prayer warrior, if you're one of those people that are experienced in prayer, we need you to invite us to pray with you. We need to sit with you when you're praying. We need to hear how you're praying. We need to, to see how you slowly um, get settled into God's presence. We, we need to hear you express your heart to God and, and, and hear how you pray the scriptures. We need that because we need to learn, all learn how to pray. So we need to grow in prayer with community. And whether that's group meetings or one-on-ones in our worship times, it's so important. That's why I encourage you here. When we're worshiping in, in song, and if you sense that the Lord puts someone on your heart, go pray with them. Or someone that's sitting close by, maybe just say, hey, can I just pray with you or pray over you? Or is there something going on? We're here to, to be with each other in that way. Because so often we can put, for good reason, like Bible study and service on a pedestal and then prayers down here. But Jesus invited his disciples to pray with him. So, so important. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we, we bring this to a close this morning, but... I want us to, to think about this. Jesus didn't just teach us how to pray by what he said. He taught us how to pray by what he did. So Jesus marked the place, right? He made it a practice. He, he, he prayed in the closet, and he prayed in community. You remember that stuff? He, he marked a place to pray. He made it a practice. He prayed in the closet, and he prayed in community. He prayed in silence and solitude. He prayed with others. So here, my challenge to you this morning is make a decision to grow in prayer. We're all at different levels. We're all at different parts in our spiritual journey. We're all at a, maybe at a different space. And maybe you're even here new this morning or newer to faith, and you're like, where do I even start? And we started last week. Just, say, just use the Lord's Prayer. But make a decision around these elements of prayer. And here's, here's something I want us to realize, because this could just feel like a to-do list for you, right? And I don't want it to feel like a to-do list. I want us to just go back for a second as we wrap this up. Think about what happens in the, in the scene we read from Jesus in Mark 1. Jesus, right, it tells us that he went to a solitary place to pray. And then after that, he gets up, his disciples come and shake him up. They're like, everyone is looking for you, Jesus. So Jesus is like, oh, you know what? We're going to go to the next town and meet these, these other needs because that's why I came. I'm sure the disciples of that moment were like, what are you doing? Like, there's, everyone's looking for you. You're going to go to the next town? Jesus is like, this is why, what I came to do. This is what's happening. Let's go to the next town. I'm amazed at that because in our normal way of life, we're distracted. This is happening, and this distraction is going on, and this opportunity is here, and this challenge is going on, and what if I did this, and what if I did this next step, and oh my gosh, this person has a need, and I should go meet this need, and all these things are before us, right? What helped Jesus get up from that moment when everybody was looking for him, and his disciples said, let's do this, Jesus, and he's like, uh, we're going to go this way. It was his prayer. The fact that he spent time with his heavenly Father he found direction, he found purpose, and he found something that all of us need. And it doesn't matter where you are in your spiritual journey, all of you need this. I need this. We need the ability to trust God that we don't have to do everything, but that 
we need to grow in a relationship with him where we hear his voice and we discern his voice and then we step out. That's so important. All of us need that so, so badly. And there was strength below the surface of Jesus' activities. The strength below the surface of his activities was his prayer life. And that enabled him to say yes to certain things and no to certain things. That enabled him to find clarity for certain things. N.T. Wright says that behind the public activity of Jesus' life lay the total dependence on the one he called Abba Father. The total dependence on his heavenly Father. And when we grow in prayer to get to that point where we truly depend on our heavenly Father, we will live differently. We will choose differently. We will live with less worry. We will live with less chaos. The heart of Jesus' prayer life was his relationship with his heavenly Father. And I'm so convinced because I feel the wrestling in my own heart and my own life that the chaos of our culture and the busyness of our culture and the urgency of things around, I need this relationship with my heavenly Father so that what, when I'm hearing from him and I'm learning from him and I'm being convicted by him, and sometimes those convictions are not pleasant ones, but we need to hear them. And, and I'm convinced that when we grow in that one-on-one -on -one relationship with our Heavenly Father in prayer, in the middle of the chaos and the opportunities and the distractions and the worry, we know we can move where He leads us. We can step where He leads us. And we can allow Him to worry and not us to worry. Amen? So I'm going to pray this prayer together. It's on the screen. And uh, this was one of our daily offices this week in Emotionally Healthy Relationships, but it just jumped out at me so much on Friday. I knew we had to include it today. And um, we're going to, as we pray, we're going to pray it, and then the team's just going to sing a song uh, as I'm going to give you time to pray. We're here, right? We have a place. We can engage the practice. We're in community. If you need the closet, just kind of like, you know, hover around in your seat. Um, we're going to pray this prayer and then let the team sing this. And as they sing it, in a sense, over us, we're going to just take that time to, to pray ourselves. And so let's read this prayer together. Lord, help me to remember that you are on the throne, not me. Help me to trust you with the many things on my to-do list that I cannot finish. Deliver me from the whirlwind around me and in me so that the peace and wisdom that emerge out of stillness and silence might fill me and overflow in love to others. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm going to give you this chance, just a few moments as they sing this song. It's, it's the words of the 23rd Psalm. And uh, I'm going to invite you to pray and, and and just, just to seek the Lord together. So let's do that. Go, guys, lead us. God, we are so grateful that we get to, we got to see a glimpse of the prayer life of Jesus, your son. How he marked out places, made it a practice. The intentionality of his relationship with you was embedded in his life and schedule and thoughts 
and priorities. Oh God, teach us. Teach us, God, the value of being in communion with you. That we mark out our places and make it a practice. Teach us how to pray in the closet. And teach us how to pray in community. Teach us how to pray in silence and solitude before you. And teach us what it means to pray in community with one another. God, we pray that this posture of prayer would grow within our church. We acknowledge that we have much to grow in. We acknowledge that we have much deeper places to get to in prayer and much greater dependency on you, God, to declare. We confess that before you, God. I confess that before you. And Lord, may the urgency I felt to pray this morning be in my heart every morning. May the urgency we feel to pray when we're at the bottom of a pit be the urgency we have in our hearts just to spend time with you. And so God, where some here this morning might feel even to be praying for the desire to pray, we stand with them too. Grow in all of us that desire. Help us to acknowledge be aware of the state of our relationship with you, God. We long to draw closer. And God, may the things that we do for you, God, be empowered by what's under the surface. May we be and more be a praying church, totally dependent on the one we call Abba Father.